Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Bible Quest, the Tuesday edition. We're glad you're able to join us on this Tuesday afternoon. And uh, we have a very exciting program today. Maybe, I don't want to say controversial. I think I said that last week, and it wasn't really controversial. Uh, but there's some interesting topics that I guess could be. And I'll leave that up to the panelists to, to take it to where we're going to go. Speaking of the panelists, hi, Stephen. How are you? I'm doing well, Drew. How are you? I'm doing very good. Thank you. How are you doing, Jonathan? Good to see you this afternoon. I'm doing really well. Good to see you guys. And Scott, our program director, is here. I see your name, Scott. How are you doing? I am doing okay. And I'm getting a message saying unable to start video because the host, okay, now that's changed. The magic words. <laughs> there you go. Good to see you. <laughs> How you doing? I'm doing well. Good, good. All right. So uh, if you're coming in on the Zoom app, please use the Q&A button or the chat button. Bring up the little window and give us, give us your comments, questions as we're going through the the topics today. If you're coming in on the Facebook page, Scott's Facebook page, use the comment box there and we'll be monitoring all of your comments. And we hope you will participate. In fact, if you have questions, anytime you have questions, whether it's things we're talking about today or not, we really invite you to ask your questions. Like today's topics came from viewers um, like you and we want to discuss uh, these very topics. Okay, so Scott, why don't you take it away and uh, start us off with, well actually the first thing is from uh, a question that came in after the program last week where we were talking about, um, a number, about, about baptism uh, and adults and things like that. Uh, Scott, why don't you just go ahead and fill us in there. All right, so I used the phrase adult the last time as we were talking about baptism. And I was reading from the text of Acts 8. I'll read that again. It doesn't use the word adult. Acts chapter 8. Philip is in Samaria. And it's uh, the city up there, the chief city of Samaritans. And it said, when they believed Philip preaching good tidings concerning the king of God in the name of Jesus, they were baptized, both men and women. And of course, I was making the point that in any city, you're going to have babies, infants, toddlers, little kids, etc. But the people that Philip was preaching to are categorized as men and women. And I use the word adult. Um, I don't think you have to be, let's see, in our country, you have to be 18 to be considered an adult, like say to join the military or something like that. You have to be 21 before you can uh, go get drunk and buy a gun, which seems a bad combination um, <laughs> for more than one reason. Um, but uh, this isn't a little children responsibility. Um, and so I apologize if I'm creating confusing over having used the word adult, but it is an adult level decision that people are making for their whole adult lives. Um, if you've got a small child uh, and they believe in God and they've heard of heaven and hell, they don't want to go to hell, they want to go to heaven, but there's a lot of things they don't understand. And there's other things that they believe and they don't have uh, at all an adult type faith yet. 
Um, when you say when you say a small child, you're referring to maybe a four or five year old. Yeah, let's let's take a five year old. Uh, okay. There, I've, I've seen places that do like child evangelism. In fact, we've got a place here in Adams County, Child Evangelism Fellowship, and I think they used to pass out tracks, little bitty, you know, like targeted for small children, little cartoons and teaching them they need to be saved and how to be saved. I, that's just, I think, inappropriate. Uh, those that respond to the gospel as delivered in scripture, um, it, it, I don't think there's a magic age set on it and people will uh, uh, mature at different points, but it, it is not something for little children. When little children were brought to Jesus, he took them and blessed them and said, you know, for such belong as the kingdom of heaven. He didn't say they needed to be baptized. Other thoughts on that, Jim? No, I think the, the, we might have gone uh, and said something like fact that at the jailer's house, there was only adults when there could have been young infants, but it was only the household, all his household were believed that so it'd have to be those who were of age that could believe and respond to the gospel, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it, if the ones in Acts 16, the ones that uh, rejoiced and heard were the ones that got baptized. Right. Yeah. Other than that, uh, Jonathan or Stephen? Yeah, it's important. As, oh, go ahead, Jonathan. Well, I was just going to say, as you mentioned before, when we were talking about this before earlier this afternoon, Scott, um, uh, Josiah, I don't know if you want to also mention that as well. Um, but he's a, an interesting um, Bible character. He's eight years old when he becomes king in Second Chronicles 34. Um, and in verse 3 of Second Chronicles 34, it says in the eighth year of his reign, um, so he'll be 16, uh, when he's 16 years old, while he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of David, his father. Um, so there's a younger guy, 16 years old, um, that's in a really important position politically, leading a nation. Um, and he sets his heart to seek God. Now, that's lower than the age in America of being a quote-unquote adult. Um, but a 16-year-old is capable of deciding that they're going to follow God. And Timothy, you recall when Paul says, let no man despise your youth. What book is that in where Paul says, let no man despise your youth? Second Timothy 4.12. Or 1 Timothy 4.12, excuse me. 4.12. So... Second Timothy, he's back in pr a prisoner. First Timothy, he's free. The first imprisonment lasted to about, say, 62. So if First Timothy is written, say, around roughly, say, 63 AD, somewhere in that area, and he's saying, let no man despise your youth. Timothy's still a youth. But when did Paul pick up Timothy? Back in the late 40s. You know, uh, he, and he's mentioned in association with his father and mother. So I don't know his exact age, but it appears that Timothy was rather young as well. But he had a heart and a, and a good reputation for serving God. So uh, as we think about this, I think it's clear that Scripture teaches a couple of different things. One is it teaches the accountability of adults, that there are people who clearly are in control of their decisions and accountable for what they do. Scripture also shows us some clear principles about the innocence of children. Jesus is saying, let the children come to me. Deuteronomy chapter one has an interesting passage 
where um, it's talking about those children who don't know their right hand from their left. Um, Deuteronomy 1, uh, there it's in verse 39. And of course, this is Moses talking to the new generation uh, about going into the promised land. And he said, as for your little ones who you said would become a prey and your children who today have no knowledge of good or evil, they shall go in there and to them I will give it and they shall possess it. And uh, so this was Moses talking to the previous generation that died in the wilderness. And he says, listen, your children are not being held accountable for your faithlessness. When they tried to go in, there was the 12 spies and that whole thing. And so your children, he says, who today have no knowledge of good or evil. There's this picture in scripture that, that there's an innocence that children have. That they don't have a full, that, now they do know, like the difference between no, no, and then this is okay. But good and evil, really, they, they're, they're parroting what they see in their parents, but there is an innocence to children that scripture upholds. And it's true that in, in between there, there is kind of a, a challenging coming of age that's different for different people and in different cultures and things like that. But the clear principles we have in the scripture is the innocence of children and the accountability of those who are of age. Very good. And I don't think we should preach the gospel in such a way as to frighten children and maneuver them into just very juvenile decisions with the old kind of Roman Catholic idea, give me a child in his first five years and I'll have it for life, et cetera, et cetera. But we should be training them and teaching them. And as the gospel pricks their hearts, you know, and having conversations with them and let them, let them uh, uh, guide them to want to be submissive to God. And then uh, as they get older, the time will come when they're clearly, they're responsible. Uh, let, let's conclude on uh, a lighter note on this point. Y- y'all probably know the old joke from Acts 19. What's the age of accountability from the King James? Do you guys know this joke? Heard that. I've heard a lot of bad Bible jokes, but I don't think I know this one. <laughs> and um, he found some people and then he baptized them and the men were all about 12. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for settling that issue for us. I appreciate that. Yeah. All right. Sorry for the phone call coming in there. Was somebody complaining about the joke? <laughs> That's probably what. A pre-emptory complaint about the joke. Yeah. That's right. They they heard where you were going and were calling to warn you. Go ahead and the next question. This keeps ringing. I better see who it is. I'll be right back. Uh-oh. It's an emergency call. Let's see what, what happens. Uh, what do you guys want to close out a little bit more information on that because I think the bottom line was that I think the point we were trying to make is that infants were not the ones that were going to be baptized and I think that's the the point we were really trying to make somewhere in between wherever that age of accountability is you know maybe they're not an adult by the standard of the number of years but their their age of accountability they know the the difference of right and wrong they know that they need to have their sins forgiven and that can happen at different ages for different people that's right. And I do think it's important that, um, you know, there's some foundational things before anybody, however old they are, uh, obeys the gospel. 
um, there needs to be an understanding of sin for what sin is and how it affects us, why we need salvation. Because again, for, like, for little kids, I mean, it, it's again easy for there to be just a lot of emotional reaction. My friends are doing it. I see other people doing it. I know mom and dad want me to do it. But there needs to be a personal commitment on the part of the one responding um, that I understand what sin is. I understand that I have sinned. Uh, here are some examples of sin in my life that I need to repent of. Um, and there needs to be some understanding of forgiveness, of why Jesus died. And uh, you don't have to understand all the depths of theology, of atonement. <laughs> um, good luck with all of us on that. <laughs> There's some things that are just uh, very profound on that. But uh, there needs to be some understanding of Jesus' sacrifice and how I receive his grace and his forgiveness. Because um, again, you think about the sermons that are preached in the book of Acts. Uh, the people that Paul and Peter are preaching to would have known some things. Uh, some of them would have grown up with the Jewish scriptures, but there's a lot they have yet to learn uh, about the nuances of faith in Christ, but they know enough to say, I, I know that I need to make a commitment. I've sinned against God. I mean, Acts 2, men and brethren, what shall we do? <laughs> they're, they're pricked. Their conscience is in a place where they realize they've sinned and they know they need a savior. And I, I think the, uh, if I can recall, I don't have a question of the viewer when, when was, the question was brought into us, implied that or said it, that the parents of the child also know their, ch their children and know them and have a role to play in, in that process. They usually have a better perception of their children's maturity than others. Exactly, exactly. Well, a conversation I have sometimes with uh, young kids, because a very young child can realize that they've done something bad. Uh, you know, a, a four-year-old can realize, I did something bad and I want to obey God. But that doesn't mean that they're capable of making that level of decision. And a conversation sometimes I've had with young people and said, if you went to Walmart and your daddy told you to put some M&Ms in your pocket and walk out the door, and you walked out the door and a policeman came up, who would the policeman take to jail you know, who would or you know he, he he would what would the policeman do would he take you to i said the policeman would probably have a talk with you and explain to you you know this this isn't what you need to do you need to that type of thing but he's not going to take you to jail because he's not going to hold you responsible for understanding it like he would the adult for adult is you know, it has a different level of responsibility. And lots of times kids understand that. Okay, Scott, why don't you go take us into that next section? Okay, uh, do you want to read the question there or just a little bit of it or, or just get to the general principles? Do you have a question there, Stephen? I can pull it up real quick. Give me just a second. There, I just sent it in the in the chat window. Okay, thank you. Uh, well, I can I can just read that. Um, so the question was: I understand as Christians we're to obey the law, and it is a pleasure to do so and to be obedient servant for Christ. However, under the current pandemic, uh, our local congregation is facing restrictions on our assembly, the number of attendees, social distancing, etc. 
I understand that our constitutional right gives us as Americans a right to peacefully assemble as and religious freedom that shall not be infringed. Uh, I think about Acts 16 when Paul was beaten as a Roman citizen, exercised his uh, Roman rights, and refused the magistrate's order to just leave. Would it be against God to not adhere to local ordinances and worship as usual when we are afforded constitutional rights, or Roman rights in Paul's case, when our magistrates are telling us that we have to, uh, that we have a minimum number assembling and shortened service? So... In a few minutes, we're going to start talking about some biblical texts. And let me tell you what we are not going to do. We are not going to, because there are so many shades uh, involved in this. There are, there are uh, federal uh, uh, laws and guidelines, there are state laws and guidelines, county, municipality, city, um, and judicial, and right now some of those are in conflict with each other. Uh, I might mention a few of those in a few minutes, and they're constantly changing. Here in Adams County, we're going from red phase uh, stay-at-home order to yellow phase stay-at-home order lifted this week, but still various restrictions. Um, not everybody is in the same situation legally. Not everybody is the same situation danger-wise. Not everybody is in the same situation vulnerability-wise. So I think very important before we start talking about these specific biblical principles here is to talk about the general biblical principle, love your neighbor as yourself and do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And there needs to be a kindness and a patience that we have with each other. Not everybody in the United States or around the world is in the same situation. Uh, I found it interesting to watch the COVID cases in Alaska. If you live in Alaska or Montana, you've kind of made social distancing part of your life to begin with. And so like, <laughs> and the total new cases was eight. Another time I checked, maybe, was it eight? Or maybe that was, and another time, total new cases was five, maybe. I might have that number wrong. It might have been 32 one time. But not everybody's in the same situation. And the congregation you're at, the laws may be different than somebody in the next county or the next state. And you may or may not have people with comorbidities that make them more vulnerable. And you may or may not have a building that's more conducive to uh, safe distancing and such. So what we are not going to do is say, this is what everybody everywhere else should do. And I would like to adamantly recommend that people realize that different congregations, different individuals within a congregation with different health needs, different people in different municipalities under different guidelines and laws and such, everybody is not in the same situation. And so some of this will have to be decided individual by individual. If you are, if you tick off all the columns for the most vulnerable, it would be wise for you to stay isolated for a while, even if the saints can meet together, depending if, if there's outbreaks in your area. If the situation is different, it's different. So with things being different, let us not be arrogant 
let us not be dogmatic in telling everybody else what everybody else has to do. And in the day of the internet, we have access to a lot of information, but that also means we get to choose where we go for information. And you can choose an information bubble where you only hear one side. Mm -hmm. And as in a lot of policy decisions and health issues, there is more than one side. I don't know all the answers to this. I don't think of any of our panelists, panelists do, and I doubt that you in the viewing audience know all the answers. After this is all said and done, will we look back and know that there were a lot of things that were unnecessary? I'm sure. Will we look back and see this is what it should have been done? Hopefully that might happen in a way that will help us for the next time. But experts are disagreeing. Uh, and we've been told as citizens, we were told, don't wear masks. Then we were told, do wear masks. And these doctors say, this is what we should do. And those doctors say, that's what we should do. In Wisconsin, there was a state mandate and then a judge threw it out. In Mississippi, uh, there were people ticketed for having a parking lot service, even though the state allowed such, the city mayor, they had an ordinance saying you couldn't, even though it's Sonic Drive-In, you could sit in the car and get your milkshake, but a couple miles away, they said you couldn't meet in the church parking lot. And they came through and they gave people $500 tickets. Well, those tickets have been waived, and I think the Department of Justice has come on down on the side of those church members and different things. So it's pretty confusing right now. But before we look at these scriptures, and that's where we're gonna focus, if you have logged into your mind that you know what's best and you can't understand why anybody else has any other point of view, I wanna share two facts, two sides of the coin because I can understand why different people have different points of view. I was making plans with a friend just recently, wonderful person, caring person, uh, a person very knowledgeable uh, and a person in good health. And we were making plans to do something and I was assuring them of the precautions that we would take. And they said, I'm not that worried about it. And you know what, I respect that. But then yesterday, I saw a friend at Walmart who kept his distance with his mask, and I had my mask, and asked how he was doing. He said, trying to stay away from everybody. I used to play ball with this guy at the gym, and he said, some of the other guys are wanting to get back to playing ball. He said, even after this is listed, I'm not ready to go back. And you know what? I can respect his concern. He's older. He's concerned. He doesn't have the same level of concern as some of my other friends, but he has a right to be concerned. So real quickly, here's what I wanted to illustrate. This was a preacher in Virginia who was at a church and he vowed to hold in-person church in defiance of a state public health order, et cetera, et cetera. And then he got the COVID virus and he died. And four of his, I believe it was four of his family members became infected. And if somebody's conspiracy minded said, well, that's just in the news. No, you can go to the Facebook page of the family members and read about this and see that not only after he died, that they got the COVID also. 
Um, this was another uh, fellow who thought it was all hysteria or tended to view it as hysteria. And he went down to Mardi Gras and he was going to do some preaching down there. And he died and his family got infected. And there's the family, there's his website and such. You can see when he was on a respirator, when he's identified as COVID-19, and then when he passed away. And just Saturday, this was a fellow who ran for president in Cameroon. He's a pastor and he was laying hands on people to heal them from COVID. And Saturday, he died after having it for a week. There's a real virus out there, no matter where it came from, and no matter how you decide it relates to how much more serious it is than our regular flu, there is a real virus that's really killing people. And there are brethren and congregations who have lost brothers and sisters there, or family members, or, and, and, and different things who have already died from this. So can we please understand that when people are showing concern about this, they don't need to be mocked for being afraid and, and don't need to be mocked for buying into some big lie that there is a real virus that's killing people. At what ratio and what best to do about it, those are different questions, but there's a real threat. Okay, here's also a fact. The other day I was in Georgia, well, a couple of weeks ago now, and they have, had reopened down there. I don't know how long before, a little while before, they had reopened and you didn't have to wear a mask. And uh, it was nighttime. I wanted to get my family some supper. We had to go down to Florida to pick up uh, the stuff from my son's college where he had to close down from. And for weeks, the college was closed and we couldn't get the vehicle and the clothes and stuff. It opened up. We went down to get it. And every, things were, a lot of things were open in Georgia. And I called to check on a restaurant and they said, oh, you can come inside. And we did. And it was delightful. We weren't seated right next to anybody else. We didn't have to wear masks, and I enjoyed eating a meal. That's in Georgia. Georgia is not every place else. And I've been pleased to see that watching Georgia's numbers, they haven't shot up so far. And in fact, it's not just Georgia. So far, no spike in coronavirus in places reopening. Now, can you see why some people think it would be good for things to reopen? Yeah respect the, and I don't know the answer. And you know what could happen next week? They could shoot up or in the fall, it could get totally out of control or next week I might die of the virus. But can we show some respect that this is an unusual time and people have a variety of motion, of emotions ranging from what they're most concerned about. And can we show some respect to people without getting angry and hostile and realize that there are real reasons why some people are very, very concerned about contagion and some people are very, very concerned about things opening up and respect that people have different feelings. Jonathan. Um, along that idea, I know this, what I'm about to read in First Corinthians 6 is totally different situation, totally out of context. Um, but the principle, I think, is still the same. The big danger um, among Christians, I think, um, particularly brethren now with this situation, uh, is thinking that you have all the answers and allowing that to justify your position and, and that you're the one that's right and all of the rest of the other brethren that don't line up with you are wrong. 
Right. And when you read through First Corinthians, you see the havoc that that type of attitude can, can wreak on a church. Um, in the first four chapters, they're forming divisions, following different teachers, saying, my teacher is better, my teacher is better, and destroying the house of God. And Paul talks about that in chapter three, how God hates that. You don't destroy the building of God. Um, he takes that very seriously. In chapter six, they're suing each other, um, taking it to, to law and not able to solve problems among themselves and care about each other and talk through issues. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 8, you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. He gets to chapter eight and starts talking about food offered to idols. And this, this verse has just always stuck out to me. The two verses in 1 Corinthians 8, um, in verse 10, he says, if anyone sees you uh, having knowledge and eating in idols temples, um, I'm sorry, in verse 11, uh, and be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat, or, and so by you, by your knowledge, sorry, let me restart, 1 Corinthians 8, verse 11, you by your knowledge, uh, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Um, and then in verse 13, therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest, my brother, lest I make my brother stumble. Paul is pointing out to the Corinthians over and over and over in this letter, you're letting your pride get the better of you and your relationships that you're supposed to be having with your brethren in Christ, and it's destroying your church and your relationships. And God hates that. So while we're considering all of this, I know those are totally different situations. Some people are going to have different views. Some people are going to have different opinions. Don't destroy the brother for whom Christ died in, in the final decision that you make. Um, so, There was an honest and reflective post on Facebook the other day, showed up on uh, my, my page, and it was from somebody who, and they have a certain point of view on this, and they said they had to watch themselves because as they were seeing statistics coming out of states that have reopened, they had to watch out for a desire to see a spike to prove that they had been right. And then they realized, wow, what would that be saying? If I'm want, you know, and, and it, it, he, just, he just wrote an important lengthy post about don't make this about you trying to be right. And, and don't just look on, on policy things. There's always different. And there's actions and reactions and, and unintended consequences. But there's usually at least two sides of factors that have to be weighed and considered, and sometimes more, and just have uh, some patience and kindness and humility are important. With that monologue aside, let's start just talking about what some biblical passages teach about Christians and government. So somebody read to us, please, Romans chapter 13, the pertinent verses. Sure, this is Romans 13, verses 1 through 7. I'm reading from the ESV. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you'll receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, 
not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are due, owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. And then 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 through 17, please. I can read that. Be subject. Oh, no, go ahead, John. Okay, sorry. Um, be subject to the Lord to for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as living servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. All right. Titus chapter 3. Okay, uh, I've got that one. Let's see, Titus 3, starting in verse 1. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. How far do you want me to go on that one? That's good. That's good. Um, and then from Matthew chapter 22, verse 15, then went the Pharisees, took counsel, had them snare him in his talk. They sent with them their disciples, the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know you are true, and you teach the way of God in truth. They're not for anyone, or God is supposed to men. Tell us, what do you think? Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why make trial of me, you hypocrites? Show me the tribute money. They brought him a denarius. And he said, Whose image is inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. He said, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. Um, I have some comments on that text, but I'm, I'm not going to sidetrack us there. So in general, somebody sum up what these passages have taught us. They were generally, us, God, John, generally, John. generally, God established government and he put the government, the officials in their positions. And so as Christians, we need to respect them. We need to follow them. Their, their role, as God intended, is to punish evil and reward good. And that's what government is supposed to be doing. And even though governments don't always do their job perfectly understatement of the world i think um <laughs> we're still better off with government than without it it's kind of like marriage where is the perfect husband where is the perfect wife but you know what children who have imperfect moms and dads have something that they need and they those moms and dads imperfect as they are still have an important role. And throughout the book of Acts, you see Paul appealing to his rights as a Roman citizen, as corrupt as that government was, it still provided a certain level of, of safety at that time. Now, let's take a look at Acts 4. We have something different in Acts 4. What do you have there? Well, Peter and John have healed a layman. Well, Jesus has healed the layman through the and they are arrested and then they're threatened and they tell them not to speak anymore in the name of jesus but in uh, acts 4 verse 18 beginning acts 4 18 so they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of jesus 
But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And so they, and these were Jewish authorities. These were part of the local Jewish government. And they say, well, we answer to a higher authority than you. Right. And uh, we are not going to obey you on that one. Right. And it wasn't because the Sanhedrin said, you know, there's a hurricane coming. You know, everybody needs to, you know, get in your houses and board up. It's because they were saying, you don't teach about Jesus. And Peter says, no. Okay. Acts 5. Somebody read that text for us, please. The pertinent part. You want to start where the apostles were arrested up in verse 17? Well, it, it, I think uh, it, the part here, because we're running out of time, it says in verse uh, 27, uh, Acts 5, 27, uh, when they had brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest questioned them saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. And Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. All right. And then this time they wanted to kill them. Gamaliel says, don't kill them. Instead, they just beat them, which probably would have been the 39 lashes. And then they went and they kept preaching the gospel. Two accounts in Daniel, we're running short on time. So somebody just briefly describe uh, the challenge of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Well, first, when Daniel and his friends were taken captive, um, they were told to uh, eat of the king's food and, and thereby defile themselves. Um, and they requested to not allow that to happen so that they could just eat vegetables and separate themselves, continue to follow God even under that. Um, but later in Daniel's life, um, it was actually outlawed to pray to God um, and under penalty of death. Um, and so Daniel, in response to that, continued to pray to God just like he did before. And that was targeted against Daniel. Mm -hmm. that the, the reason for that law was because of Daniel's faith. And he uh, stands up to do what's, what's good. All right. And then how about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Similar situation in Daniel 3 where uh, the king has set up this statue to himself and under penalty of death, everyone is supposed to fall down and worship. The king appreciates his, these guys, doesn't want to have to kill him. He gives them another chance. And they still won't bow down to the, the image. And so he has them thrown into a, a furnace of fire that he heats in his rage even hotter than it was. And the Lord delivers them there. But I appreciate what they said. They said, listen, our God is able to deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down and, and serve your idol. Um, and that's the kind of attitude that we need. We, we are not promised security or protection from an evil, wicked government. And if you look throughout the scriptures, there's not really an exception to an evil, wicked government. Like that, that is just, it, none of these passages say, well, obey the government as long as they make laws you like. It doesn't even say obey the government as long as they make laws that are in accordance with God's will. It, it just says you need to submit to the government. And then it says, well, when the government tells you to do one thing and God tells you to do something else, you obey God rather than men. 
And, and that is what we see over and over from God's people in the Old Testament and the New Testament is people who had a priority of I'm going to submit to God. And, and that's really the question that we want to ask with whatever the laws of the land say and the guidelines are, what, what would the Lord want me to do? How can I best honor him first? And then second, how can I love my neighbor? And in and, and those order, I mean, Jesus said, this is number one, and then the second one. And if we're making our decisions from love, that will go a long way toward one, how we make our decisions, and two, how we tell other people about our decisions. Um, but love needs to be our motivation. And there's a passage in First Peter, where it tells us to obey the government, also talks a lot about persecution. But it says, if you're persecuted, make sure it's for doing right, not for doing wrong. So, for example, when they tell Peter, you do not talk about Jesus Christ, Peter's got no choice but say, no, I'm not going to obey that. I'm, I'm going to talk about Jesus Christ. But what if the four of us decide to teach about Jesus Christ in the middle of the interstate? Should extreme persecution when we're arrested, you know, when we're when we're escorted off the interstate. No, that, that's that's don't. It, it says not to be a meddler in other men's matters or different things. We, there's not every law. Some laws are inconvenient. Some laws we don't like. But not every law is a violation of God's will. Uh, real quickly, a couple of things from the life of Paul. Acts 16. Our question mentioned. Paul is a Roman citizen, and they were about to do something. They had done something illegal. They had beaten him without a trial. Does Paul point to his Roman citizenship and his legal rights? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think probably, my guess is, he did that partly for the benefit of the Philippian church. If he had left town and the last thing everybody saw was, oh, wow, the leader of that group, he got beaten and jailed and run out of town, that could spell bad news for the Philippian church. Instead, he pointed out how it was illegal, and they then were afraid, uh, you know, and concerned because they had done something wrong, and that probably helped protect the. I can see how that may have protected the Philippian church after he left. Paul is willing to preach the gospel, even though it means sometimes he's stoned or beaten or imprisoned. And on the way to Jerusalem, people say, you're going to be in prison. He said, I'm going anyway. But, oh, and we lost Scott. I think that was his computer battery. <laughs> he came in here and told us ahead of time that his battery was running low. And uh, it almost made it. It was three minutes till. Uh, so it was, it was close. Um, but to round out the, this discussion, uh, Paul had on the screen there, Acts 9, where Paul uh, is converted in that chapter and goes from being the persecutor to the persecuted. And it's interesting that he has to escape from Damascus. They're, they're coming after him. And just because we submit to the government doesn't mean that sometimes we don't try to evade mm -hmm. uh, capture if they're coming after us for doing what's right. Again, this is not suffering for doing what's wrong, but if we're doing God's will and pleasing him, uh, then he does evade capture there. They lower him in a basket over the wall in Acts 9, verse 25. Mm -hmm. um, and similarly, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, um, there were times where he you know, was beaten and shipwrecked and all sorts of things happened to him. 
Uh, but there are other times where he used his Roman citizenship, as we've already mentioned, to avoid further beatings and an unnecessary suffering. We're not trying to get in trouble with the government, but we're trying to submit to the government, but realizing that we answer to a higher authority in the Lord. Mm -hmm. That's relating a little bit to where I was thinking of, of taking it. Um, in Mark 13, um, Jesus was warning about, um, I believe he's talking about the uh, destruction of Jerusalem. He was warning the Christians, his followers, he wasn't calling them Christians, the followers, his followers. He says in verse 14, when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And as also, alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. And he goes on to talk about this tribulation. It's going to be very, um, uh, it's going to shake up the world and it's very dangerous. He's, he's telling them to, to take care of your physical lives, isn't he? To, to warning them there. Yeah. And I mean, there, I mean, God, Jesus is using the Roman authorities in the year 70 to come in and, and destroy Jerusalem. He's prophesying this is what's going to happen. And this is an instrument of God's wrath. Uh, because they rejected the Messiah. And so this is something that Jesus prophesied about and used, but he told his people, if you'll listen to me, you can escape the physical destruction that happens from this. Um, it's not that we should just not care about what happens to us. Jesus cares about what happens to his people and gives them instructions where they can avoid suffering in that particular judgment, or at least being killed in that particular conflict. And so God cares about preserving life. We see that in scripture. Um, so I hope that this is a helpful zooming out and looking at, okay, here are the principles. We may disagree on the specifics. There's a lot of judgment calls that people in authority are having to make. There's a lot of judgment calls that individuals and individual churches are having to make. But if we look at the principles and in love, we are seeking to honor the Lord and honor the powers that be and we're seeking to honor our neighbor and love them, um, then whatever the specifics we decide on, hopefully our, our heart and our conclusion will be in the right place when our decisions are not being made from a desire to be proven right or for some political reason or for whatever other reason, but that we wanna love God and love our neighbor. Mm -hmm. And sometimes just one last point that, that came to my mind and and uh, in reading the question, the, the person who submitted the question asked if we, um, mentioning our rights as Americans, um, and certainly we see have an example like in Acts 16, Paul using his rights as a Roman citizen to avoid unjust punishment. Um, and there's a time and place for that. But there are also times where Paul sacrificed his rights for the betterment of his brothers and for the betterment of the church. Um, you can read 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And again, that's a judgment call. Um, Paul used his rights in sometimes and sacrificed his rights in other instances. And so in this situation, in perfect situation, or, or in different situations with brothers and sisters, with individual governments, um, local governments and things like that, maybe sometimes if, it, if we need, if our rights uh, are being infringed on and it's meaning that we can't worship God like we need to, um, like what God has said, then we have the responsibility as Christians to serve God rather than men. 
But there are going to be some situations as well where some of the rights and, and conveniences that we have, um, we're going to have to give those up um, for the betterment of our brothers and for the betterment of the church. Um, it's just a last closing thought. I know that probably doesn't have all the answers, but things to think about. Um, I've heard a lot of people quote that Paul, Paul stood up for his rights, but he also submitted his rights and sacrificed his rights as well. So we need to remember that as well. That's a great point. And we're not, and not, we're not being uh, uh, ordered not to worship. They're just telling us not to congregate, which is how we do worship. But our lives are, are more than just meeting together on that one hour. Uh, we have the rest of the week. We can do it in other ways, and it's a temporary situation. It's not permanent. At least we hope it's not going to be permanent. Um, and so our attitude needs to be: we'll do the best we can to worship God. This is what you've been saying all along, and to and to love one another as we go through this process. Yeah. All right. Well, um, thank you all for your. Uh, comments for your participation to our viewers. Um, thank you for the questions that you had come in. Um, we hope that that's helpful. Um, like we said at the beginning, our, our goal is not to tell you what you need to do specifically um, in your own specific situation, but rather to use wisdom, to use judgment, to use God's word and the principles in God's word to, to make the best decisions um, wherever you're at. Um, if you have any further questions, comments, you can submit those to us, biblequest.tv. Um, and we'll be happy to get back with you um, and we can answer that live or answer that privately if you'd like to have a private discussion as well. Um, with that, we hope to see you all next week on Tuesday at 2 p.m., Lord willing.